And amen. Good morning. You can be seated. Thank you. I want to welcome you. Uh, also, those of you online that are joining us, we're so glad that you are. Before we get started, though, I would like to take a moment and pray for the people of Turkey and Syria. Doubtless you're aware of what happened there. Uh, this was just horrific. And uh, of course the death toll continues to rise, and uh, those numbers are high, but they're not numbers, they're people. And uh, their mothers, their fathers, their sisters, their brothers, their sons, their daughters, and their loved ones. And so I'd like to take just a moment, if you would, join with me, and we'll pray for the people of Turkey and Syria. Father in heaven, we're at times like this so thankful to you for prayer, because what would we do if we couldn't pray at a time like this for the many who are so impacted by this? Lord, I just want to first pray for the people who have been just devastated by this. Lord, I, I pray that You would use this as only You can, that this would be that which brings them to You, to a saving knowledge of You, Lord. Lord, I pray for the injured, of which I'm sure there are just tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people whose lives will never be the same again. Lord, I just pray for a supernatural healing, <laughs> because You're the God who heals. You're the great physician. Lord, for supernatural strength on all that are involved in any ongoing rescue efforts, how difficult that must be, how hard that must be. Oh Lord, You, you are good no matter how bad something is, it cannot change how good You are. And we're appealing to Your goodness, Lord, for the people of Turkey, for the people of Syria, especially for Syria, those people, those poor people. These are people that You love, that You died for, Jesus. So we pray for their salvation first and foremost. And we just pray, Lord, that You would be merciful and gracious. You are compassionate. So Lord, please, we're pleading with You for this, and asking of You for this. Lord, bless our time today. Oh, we, we need Thee. Oh, how we need Thee, Lord. Every hour, as the hymn of old so beautifully says, we need Thee. So Lord, thank You. Thank You that we have You. Thank You that You're here. <laughs> thank You that we have the Holy Spirit. So bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and Amen. So on Sunday mornings we have two services, the first of which is the Bible prophecy update uh, that we do weekly, have been for years. And then second service now is the sermon. It's a verse by verse 
study through the Word. We're currently in Second Peter. And today, Lord willing, we'll complete chapter 2 of Second Peter. And what we're going to do is look at why it is that some Christians <laughs> seem so gullible and naive when it comes to false teachers, even false believers. And then, thankfully, the Apostle Peter is going to provide us with this template of sorts by which we can use and be equipped with so as to not be so easily duped. So that'll be second service in Second Peter, and that'll be live streamed at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. Also, for those of you that are watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we'd encourage you to go directly to the website, jdfrog.org. There you will find the uninterrupted and more importantly, uncensored entirety of today's update, which is actually more of a prophecy teaching than a prophecy update, as you'll see, and as I hope you'll see why as well. It's my hope and my prayer that today's prophecy teaching in particular will be an encouragement, especially to those who find themselves being crushed under this pressure to go along, to get along. I think you would agree that it's becoming increasingly difficult in these last days to stand out and stand strong, stand up under the intensity of this pressure. Thankfully, Bible prophecy, imagine, <laughs> in the book of Revelation, imagine, <laughs> provides us with the much needed hope that we can in fact stand. And we can do so in the power of His might and His strength, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we're now going to see in Revelation chapter 2. Now last week we looked at one of these seven churches. Today I want to look at another one of these seven churches, the church in Thyatira, interesting church. Um, I sh suppose I should say that the Lord as of late has been really ministering to me in a powerful and profound way out of the book of Revelation, specifically in chapters 2 and 3, as it relates to these seven churches. There's just, it's just, it's coming alive for me. And I shouldn't be surprised. Uh, the Word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. But I think the Lord has a word for us here today. And I, I want to share with you from this letter to this church, beginning in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. So would to God that we would see the majesty of Jesus like this. 
Verse 19, I know your deeds. There's quite a list here. This is quite a church here. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. In other words, this was a very faithful church. This was a very loving church. This was a very serving and persevering church. And they were growing and doing good. But then there's verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, sick bed, as some of your translations render it. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I, verse 23, will strike her children dead. Whoa. Then all the churches will know that I am He who searches their hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now, verse 24, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Just hold on. Just keep holding on. I'm coming. To him who overcomes, verse 27, and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star. And then he ends the letter as he ends all the letters. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Oh Lord, what do you want to say to us, your church? We have ears to hear. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. The reason I chose this letter to this church is because it describes with a prophetic precision the condition of today's church collectively and today's Christian 
individually. I, I hope there's never a disconnect. It's e easy to do. We're all prone to it. And I'll explain what I mean by it. But a, a disconnect from the passage of Scripture. And here's what that sounds like and looks like in the life of a believer. Well, this was for them then. Disconnect? No. Uh, it's for you now. Otherwise it wouldn't be here. All Scripture is God-breathed. And it has a purpose, an intended end. And sometimes it's for instruction protection, direction, exhortation, rebuke. We've got a rebuke here. That's a pretty strong rebuke. But we need it. And, and, and don't dismiss it. And don't disconnect from it. And please, whatever you do, we, I think it was last week, right? Capono prayed, Lord, don't let us, you know, think that this is for somebody else. That's a very good prayer because we do that, right? Come on, let's be honest. We sit under the teaching of God's Word, and it's a strong word. And what do we do? Well, we disconnect ourselves from the application of it. And we think to ourselves, man, so-and-so needs to hear this. I think I'll send them the link. <laughs> yeah, you better copy yourself in that link. <laughs> So please, I'm, I'm asking kindly and lovingly, don't disconnect, because to do so would be to your own peril. This letter to this church is for us as God's church today. And this for a number of reasons, the first of which is the name, is the nature. We're learning this, right? I'll replete throughout Scripture. The name is the nature. And the name Thyatira has the meaning of sacrifice and offering. And that's going to come into clearer focus here momentarily. So Thyatira, interesting city. It wasn't a port city, so they had to rely, because they were inland, on their commerce in other ways. So they were known as the trade center dare I say, the world trade center in the known world of that region in that day. And as such, they, they had formed these business associations. And these business associations, these trade centers or unions, if you prefer, were connected to Greek and Roman gods. And because these trade unions were so powerful, they would have to go along with sexual immorality and idolatry if they were to have any hope of keeping their jobs and their livelihood. It's believed that these unions had mandatory meetings, <laughs> which were associated with these many gods in which they were pressured to participate. If they refused 
to offer sacrifices to these pagan gods. Their very livelihood was at stake, relegating them to either low paying jobs or worse yet, no jobs at all. Enter this church in this city under this pressure and the ensuing letter that the Savior has the Apostle John write in this regard. Namely, that they as a church were tolerating, were tolerant. They were tolerating, allowing this Jezebel, this woman who was misleading and I want you to notice the detail with which John is inspired to write this. My servants, those are my children. Those are my people. And you're allowing this Jezebel to mislead my people. That's not okay. Because she's misleading the Lord's servants to offer these sinful sacrifices. And you're letting it happen. This is the more serious rebuke. Certainly it doesn't excuse those who were being misled in this church. But it was the leadership of the church. They were allowing it. Think through this with me. Would you allow someone to come into your home, into your family, to mislead your children into sin? Maybe it's not someone, maybe it's something. You're going to allow that? Well, you're going to be held to an account for that. That's why as church leadership, we take this very seriously. We're going to talk a little bit more about this second service in Second Peter. Uh, it's, uh, I hope you don't tire of me saying this, but wherever you're at in God's Word is where you're at. As a church, in church life, in your Christian life, anywhere in the Word of God, because it's alive and active, it activates. It applies. It's His living Word, and it comes alive. And it's kind of like, oh, 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 how did He know? Well, He's all-knowing, actually. But have you ever been in the Word of God, and you know it's the Word of God, because only God knows that about you? Nobody else knows that. And when God's Word just leaps off the pages of your Bible or your device, and just, I mean personally and powerfully, pierces and cuts that double-edged sword that cuts between soul and spirit and bone and marrow, and I mean, it just cuts to the heart. That's the Word of God. And such is the case today, because like last week, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Well, are you going to do this again next week? I don't know. Don't pressure me. 
We might. We'll see. But again, I think the Lord has a word for us today. And this was so serious that it would rise to this level. And listen to what he's saying to the leadership of this church. You're allowing it to happen. This is on you, man. You're the, you're the leadership of the church, and you're allowing this woman to come into my church and mislead my servants into this. That's not okay. And by the way, I'm going to do something about it, because apparently you're not. This was causing damage. And these people were posing a threat. And absent repentance, this threat was so serious and would rise to the level of being so serious that God would cast her on a bed of sickness, and those with her would suffer intensely. So much so. Again, absent repentance, so much so that some would even die. Why? Well, stay with me on this. This is hard, tough stuff, but it's truth. And I want you to think about your own family, your own home. If someone or something posed a formidable threat to my children, my wife, my family, my home, uh, I'm going to deal very decisively, very swiftly with it to protect my children from this threat. And that's what God is doing here. This is a loving Heavenly Father who wants to protect His people, His servants, His church. So He'll try to get their attention, put them on a sickbed, and if they still don't repent, even after all of that? Well, listen, I tried. God knows. I, I went to all of my Bible translations. I have many Bible translations on my computer. I was trying to look for something that wasn't as strong as, I'm going to kill your children. Whoa, that's surely, the, that's a, there's a better translation. Just kind of take a little, little bit of the edge off of it. And what I found was it was actually worse and even more <laughs> graphic and <laughs> horrific than that. And so, of course, the, the question becomes, why God? <laughs> well, because um, if I don't kill, they'll kill. Like gangrene, the Apostle Paul says, like cancer, it will spread. If you keep allowing this in my church, it will bring the death of my church. And I got to protect my people. Now, lest one think that this is disproportionate, unloving, unjust, one need look no further than to the seriousness of this rising to this level within a church. And I'm speaking of the church in Corinth. And it's evidenced by Paul's first letter 
to this church, chapter 11, verses 27 through 32, concerning, very similarly, putting people on a sickbed because of what they were doing at the Lord's Supper. And, and he even said, some of you are dying. Do you want to know why? It's because you're not discerning the body. What do you mean? Well, if you pose a threat to my body, my people, my church, my servants, and I can't get your attention by putting you on a sickbed, I'm just going to bring you home early. And it's for your protection too. But mainly, more importantly, it's for the protection of my body of believers. So premature death. Now, please know that sickness and death are not usually because of God's judgment. They're the result of living in a fallen world. When sin entered this world, death with sin entered this world. This was never God's original plan for man. But He gave man free will. And He'll never force Himself on us. So when we make those choices, we bring this upon ourselves. By the way, this Thursday, we finished uh, the book of Jeremiah on Thursday night, 52 chapters. I was told, I don't want to check and know, but I think we were about one year in the book of Jeremiah, which isn't bad actually, we, considering we spent almost three years in the book of Romans a number of years ago. But the book that comes after Jeremiah is the book of Lamentations. Doesn't that sound perky? You know what Lamentations are? They're funeral dirges. It's one of those words that sounds like what it is, a dirge. They're poems, they're songs. They're, they're a mourning and a lamenting at the destruction of Judah. And this Thursday, Lord willing, we're going to start in Lamentations. Uh, you'll be pleased to know there's only five of these dirges. But, uh, so we're going to take the first one. But what we're going to see in there is what our sin causes, the damage it causes, the damage and the harm it causes us, the damage and the harm it causes others, and certainly the grief that it brings to the heart of God, what our sin causes. So that's this Thursday. I hope you'll come. You probably won't now, after I introduced it like that. So again, just to reiterate, death and sickness are for the most part a result of living in a fallen world. However, there does come a time when God may deem it necessary to first get one's attention to repent on a sickbed. But if that does not lead to their repentance, then He'll remove them. And in removing them, so too has He also removed the threat they pose to His church. That's what this letter is saying. And this is again why I emphasize, please don't dismiss it or disconnect from it. 
because this is a word for us today, if we have ears to hear. And this word should send chills up and down the spine of every pastor, every leader of every church. Because again, the onus is on us to protect this flock of God. Um, let me just say parenthetically, and maybe second service, we will expound a little bit more on it. But I want to assure you, reassure you, maybe commit, recommit to you, especially those of you that are new to the church, which by the way, we're so glad that you're here. We want to love on you and welcome you. And we want you to please make yourself at home. And we're so glad that you're here, those of you that are new to the church. So I want to recommit to you and commit to you this, that a Jezebel will never be allowed in this God's church. We will deal decisively and swiftly with anyone who poses a threat to you, God's people. And it's the hard thing, but it's the right thing. And God has honored it, and God has blessed it, because God is ferociously protective of this body of believers. And I want to commit to you and I also want to equip you, which again, second service we'll talk more about, because you still have a role in this. We can only do so much from our vantage point as overseers. But you, you need to be discerning so that you're not misled by the Jezebels. You're not deceived by the Balaams. You're not duped by these false believers, false teachers, and especially false teachings, doing so much damage to the body of Christ today. I really believe that it's just a matter of time. God's going to say, that's it. Time's up. Game over. Done. And that's going to be it, man. And those eyes are like fire, are going to burn. The feet like bronze, bronze, a type of judgment in Scripture. Well, we have a question we need to ask and answer, and it's, <laughs> Pastor, how does this apply to Bible prophecy? concerning the church today? The answer in a sentence, the last day's church is caving to, tolerating of, and going along with this Jezebel spirit, alive and well today. However, as we'll see, there's still hope, despite the many, and even for the many who go along to get along, which is the takeaway for today. It's important to understand that the Thyatira church was one of 
seven churches physically in that day, of all places, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, where they just had the earthquake. So they not only speak to seven literal churches, but they also speak prophetically to the churches in the last days. And every single one of these churches is representative of a prophecy that speaks prophetically to the last day's church. In other words, each church is a prophetic picture of the last days, right before the time that the Lord raptures His church. It's for this reason that we can draw the prophetic parallels, as it were, which in turn redirects our attention back to Jesus and the urgency of the hour, which is the stated purpose of these prophecy updates. Get to Jesus. Get people to Jesus and Jesus to people. Get to Jesus as quick as you can. Get back to Jesus. Maybe that is next week's prophecy teaching. The church of Ephesus, the first church, left, not lost, their first love. Ah. I pray that happens today. <laughs> I pray that right now the Holy Spirit would grab all of our attention, myself included. And you know what the Holy Spirit's sole purpose is? It's to glorify Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> what a novel idea, huh? I want to draw your attention, because we have our attention's divided. <laughs> Would you agree? And, and the Holy Spirit is the one that can give us that undivided attention. So we can focus on these prophetic parallels. And as we do, please listen, because Jesus said this to the church, I am and he said, I'm going to do this so the churches will know that I am, I am the one who searches the hearts and minds. You know what that means? He searches our hearts. Oh, search my heart, O Lord, and see if there be anything at all that keeps me from knowing you and hearing you, and love, loving you. Lord, search my heart and search my mind, because if there's anything that's keeping me from you, hindering me in you, coming in between me and you, Lord, search. And when you search and you find it, put your finger on it. He is always so gentle when He does, and, say, and identify and say, that has to go. You need to let me cut that out. Because if I don't cut it out, it's going to kill you, because it'll continue to spread. 
So let's allow, <laughs> let's be tolerant of the Holy Spirit. How about that? Let's tolerate and allow the Holy Spirit unfettered access to our hearts and minds as He searches our hearts and minds concerning this. So at this time, we'll go ahead and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook, and hopefully you're already at the website. What follows is a chart that I put together of these prophetic parallels, and it focuses chiefly on two things, climate change or the environment and COVID. However, these are two of many. They're, they're all in concert one with the other, but these are kind of at the core, at the top, if you prefer. But included in these two specifically are the pressures to go along, to get along politically, socially, culturally, and economically. It's intense pressure to go along, to get along, especially in the political arena, which I'm not going to, I don't have the stomach for that today. You'll be glad to know. So let's just talk about these two in particular. First parallel, the Thyatira church had this pressure to join these trade centers, which misled them into literal and spiritual adultery. So too with the last days church. There's this pressure to join in and follow with the ways of the world, which according to James is spiritual adultery. Because see, to be friends with the world is to be at enmity with God. You cannot be friends with the world. In fact, James, so tactful, so gracious, and you know, he just comes right out and says, you adulterers and adulteresses. You imagine a pastor getting up and, well, I can imagine you doing that. You do that to us every week, whatever. But you know, would to God that pastors would preach that truth. You're adulterers. <gasps> You're adulteresses. <gasps> How? You're committing spiritual adultery with the world. You're in bed with the world. That's spiritual adultery. You're an adulterer. You're too cozy with the world. You're in love with the world and the things of the world. And if you're in love with the world, John says, the love of the Father is not in you. You cannot love both. Jesus, Matthew 6 said, you cannot serve both. It's one or the other. It's an impossibility. You're either going to love the one and hate the other, or vice versa. You'd be hard pressed to find a church that's got the guts to speak this truth, because we want to be tolerating and sensitive. We want to be sensitive. sensitive. <laughs> 
getting back to the Corinthian church. Oh, we're so loving and accepting. Paul, really? You think you're loving? You're not loving. You think that's love? That's not love. This is what love is. And that's 1 Corinthians 13. I don't think we realize that 1 Corinthians 13 is in the context of a rebuke. So next time, if you want me to do your wedding, which I don't have a lot of people wanting me to do their weddings anymore. I'm taking that personally, because <laughs> I talk about stuff like this, actually. And, um, but uh, when you hear that at, at weddings, it's actually in the context of you think you're loving, but that's not loving. Oh, we're so accepting. Yeah, let me tell you how unloving you are. You've got a guy in your church, Corinth, that is ha- committing sexual immorality with his stepmom, and you're tolerating it. And wh- what is that saying to the rest of the church? Oh, must be okay. Must be all right. I mean, look, the church leadership isn't doing anything about it. They're tolerant of it. They're accepting of it. So it must be cool. Hey, we're a loving and accepting and tolerating. We just love everybody. That's a whole thing even now, as I'm sure many of you have heard. <laughs> they get us. No, I, it, that's not love. Paul says, if you really love this guy, here's what you're going to do. You're going to kick him out of the church. First of all, you've got to protect the church from this, because that'll spread. But you, if you really love him, you need to give him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Whoa, where's the love, man? I'm not feeling the love here. Give him over to the destruction of his flesh, to Satan? Yeah. Let Satan have his way with him. And he'll come to his sentence, sentence, yeah, (laughs) senses, pardon me, and he'll repent. And then when he does, you restore him. But that's the only way. If you really love him, if you don't, fine, just let him go and yeah, see you, wouldn't want to be you. No, if you really love him, if you're really a loving church, if you really love my people, that's how you'll deal with it. That's love the truth in love. Truth because you love. If you don't care, why bother? This is my story, and I'm sticking with it in my parenting of my children. I do this because I love you. To which my children, when they were young, would respond with something to the effect of, well, you don't have to love me so much then. No, I love you so much. that I have to do the hard thing here. Here's another parallel. In the Thyatira church, there was this pressure to offer sacrifices to pagan gods to get the best jobs and to keep the best jobs. Does this sound familiar? The pressure today in the last days church to sacrifice to the false god of the environment, those who worship the creation, not the Creator. 
And this all under the banner of reducing carbon. You know what reducing carbon means, right? You have to reduce people. Oh, that's the plan. And if this weren't bad enough, there's even more pressure to sacrifice to the false god of science, the god Asclepius, this pagan false god of medicine that was prevalent at this time in about the year 95, 97 AD, when these letters were written to these churches. And it was a pagan god of medicine, Asclepius, that they had temples to, that they would sacrifice to, bring offerings to. It's just the modern day god of science, all under the banner of COVID to get the best jobs and keep the best jobs. In the Thyatira church, they had self-proclaimed false prophetesses like this Jezebel who was misleading God's people. Not much has changed. The last day's church. And hear me out rampant with false prophets, false pastors, false believers, and false leaders who are misleading God's people. You know, and again, I know I keep mentioning it, but second service, the title of the teaching is, Why Are some Christians so naive and gullible. I mean, Christians, it, someone says, well, I'm a Christian, and we just are too trusting, and we just accept that. And they're not a Christian. They're not a boarding again believer. They're not your brother and sister in Christ. They need Jesus. But we're so gullible and so naive. And I'm not talking about new believers. I'm talking about believers that have been walking with the Lord that should know better and be more discerning. In the Thyatira church, and this was the central focal point of the rebuke, church leaders were allowing and tolerating this Jezebel teaching. And in the last days church, church leaders are allowing. And if you can imagine they're even promoting false teachings. They're promoting it. It's false. It's a lie. And you're promoting it. And you're misleading people. And some of them are dying, by the way. That's on you. And they're getting sick, by the way. And that's on you. In the Thyatira church, these Christians were being deceived by this Jezebel spirit to their own peril. In the last days church, Christians are being deceived by a lying spirit, and it's to their own peril. I'm thinking of two accounts in Scripture, one of which was with the prophet Micaiah. And he's got Jehoshaphat and Ahab. He's already been imprisoned by Ahab because he's been prophesying the truth. And Ahab hates his guts. 
And so he incarcerates him. And he's got these other prophets that tell him what his ears are itching to hear. Just speak and prophesy only smooth things. And so here comes Micaiah, and he just speaks the truth. And he tells Ahab, dude, you're going to die. Thus uh, says the Lord. <laughs> what have you got to lose? That's the truth. I'm thinking of another account in um, Isaiah, actually Jeremiah. The people are being told lies, and they love to have it so. In other words, just tell me lies. Don't tell me the truth. Just tell me lies. I love it. I love it when you talk like that. Just tell me that, no, we're not going to go into captivity in Babylon. Just tell me that. That's what I want to hear. I know it's not true, but that's what I want to hear. Just tell me it's okay. Tell me it's all good. Tell me I'm, I'm good. I'm good. You're not good. You're a sinner, and you need Jesus as your Savior. And if you don't come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. And I love you enough to tell you that. How about that? That's love. I think about 2 Thessalonians 2, this powerful delusion that they would believe the lie. Why? Because they rejected the truth. The Thyatira church. And these are Christians, by the way. They were suffering on a, on a sickbed, and some even dying. Christians. And so too, in the last day's church, Christians are suffering sickness, specifically from this poisonous injection, aka the death shot, which is even leading to their death. Will we see them in heaven? Yes. If they're born again, they're going to be in heaven. Do you see the connection here? Could, the, could this letter to the church of Thyatira be written to the church today? Absolutely. And it is. Well, are you depressed? <laughs> this brings me to the aforementioned takeaway for today, and it's that of the encouraging hope for the rest of us in our Thyatira. Did you notice when I was reading this letter, verse 24 and verse 25? So he goes from addressing those who were being misled by Jezebel, and specifically the leadership that was allowing this Jezebel to mislead his servants. And he says, now, I say to the rest of you, you guys over here, I'm done talking to them. I want to talk to you now. Me? Yeah. Yeah, you. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who's the rest of them in Thyatira? Oh, those who do not hold to her teaching, and have not learned 
Satan's so-called deep secrets. I believe this is a reference to Gnosticism, which was prevalent in that day. And then verse 25, oh, Jesus, thank you for verse 25. Only hold on to what you have until I come. Translate it. There are those in Thyatira that stood strong in the face of this. They saw Jezebel, Jezebel a mile away. They could smell a Jezebel a mile away. That sounded even better, actually. And they, they have discernment. And, and they see what this person, this teaching, this doctrine is doing to the church of Jesus Christ. And they're not buying it. They're not holding on to it. And they're the, I want to be the rest of you. So we got a line over here, a group, and there's a sign, the rest of you. I want to be in that group there. Because if I'm there, then, and I don't hold to this, uh, what Jesus says to me is, I'm not going to impose any burden on you. There's no rebuke for you. The only thing I'm going to say to you is to encourage you to just hang on a little bit longer. I know you're, you're standing up, you're standing out, you're standing strong, you're not going along to get along. You're remaining steadfast. Don't think for a second I don't notice it. I notice it. You just hang on a little bit longer, because I'm a coming. I'm coming, man. Ah, I can't wait. Does that give you hope? Well, yeah, but pastor, you just got done telling me God's going to kill me for going along with this. No. I hope you're not going to leave here with that. That's not the takeaway. What's the takeaway? Repent. Do you know, he even said that he gave Jezebel, whoever this woman was, by the way, not her real name. This was a Jezebel woman. We know Jezebel from the Old Testament, the wife of Ahab, who was a weakling, the most evil king of all the evil kings that Israel ever had. And she overpowered him and misled Israel into idolatry and sexual immorality. She was so evil. And she had that influence on the children of Israel, introducing them, seducing them. So that's not her name. Could you imagine naming your daughter Jezebel? I hope you would never do that. <laughs> That'd be like naming your son Adolf Hitler or something, you know just to put it into perspective. So there's hope for you. There is? Yeah. He gave this Jezebel woman time to repent, but she refused. He's giving you an opportunity to repent, a genuine repentance. And all of us, those who have not gone along to get along, and those who have caved under the pressure and acquiesced to this Jezebel, all under the banner of, hey, 
I got to make a living. I got to go along to get along. I got to keep my job. Hey, you know, how many times have I shared a but God testimony where someone stood up and stood strong in the power of the Lord and His might, and God honored it. And He provided them from an unseen treasury and opened up, not a door, but a window they weren't even looking at, and provided them a job that was way more better, paid way more better. God will do that. God will honor that. Because what you're saying by acquiescing is, I don't trust God to provide. Well, wait a minute. If I do anything that is against God's will under that banner, I say, I don't trust God. And conversely, when I don't acquiesce to that, and I say, God, I don't know how you're going to do this. We talked about this on Thursday night, Jeremiah 52. I don't know. This, this, this is impossible. I don't know how you're going to provide. But uh, if I take a stand for righteousness, um, I don't know how you're going to do it. And it, it's impossible. It's an, I'm in an impossible situation. Oh, you are? Are you? I just so happen to be the God of the impossible. So are you going to trust me? to do things that you could have never imagined, if I were to even tell you. You would have never believed it. You will not believe what I am able to do. God's going to provide. So all of us, all of us in our Thyatira, we just need to hold on until Jesus comes for us. I know it's getting hard. Believe you me, I know it's getting hard. And it's going to get harder, increasingly more difficult with each passing day. But God, He has promised, He has given us His Word. He cannot go back on His Word. He will strengthen us, and He will see us through to the end. Just hold on, hold on, and be encouraged. These last days prophecies concerning these last days churches are for us to encourage us, because they say to us, we're close, baby. We're close, baby. I'm coming, man. You see all this? It's an indicator. It's a sign. It's soon. Just hold on. We're close. Oh, this last week I uh, don't, I didn't, didn't, don't, I, yeah, easy for me to say. Uh, aliens trending on Twitter. Uh, just this morning when I checked. Uh, UFOs, you know, these, uh, these things that are, you know, Project Blue Beam and uh, sp spy balloons from China, I guess, compliments, made in China, I guess, uh, the spy balloons and all this stuff. Do you realize what this is about? This is just an indication that we're to look up and lift up our heads, because our redemption draws ever so nigh. 
And that should encourage every single one of us. When we have that to look forward to, it makes whatever we're going through so much easier to get through. Look up, look up. Well, let's bring it to an end. We always end with the gospel of salvation found in the person of Jesus Christ and a simple childlike explanation of salvation by way of the ABCs of salvation. What's the gospel? It means good news. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. Who paid my debt? Jesus. What was my debt? Death. Jesus died for me instead of me. And I'm now set free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed, because Jesus came, He was crucified, He was buried, He rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again one day soon and very soon. That's the good news. That's the gospel. What are the ABCs? It's just again a, a simple template. It's a, it's a tool. It's not the way. It's just a way, a simple way. The A is for admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner. I mean, it has to start there because unless and until we do, why would we be interested in the Savior? Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard of righteousness. We've missed the bullseye of perfection. And that's what the word sin means, actually. It's an archery term when you miss the mark. And then Romans 6.23 is the, I like to refer to it as the sentencing phase. We've been found guilty. We've sinned. We've transgressed God's perfect law. So now we're going to be sentenced. What's the sentence? Death. It's the death sentence. The wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now notice the the gift and the wage. We are not our own. We are purchased with a price. In other words, we have this gift, not a purchase. If, If we purchased it, it's not a gift. I know that's deeply profound. But if it's a gift, a gift is something that is given. That's also very profound. But who paid for the gift? Jesus did. He paid in full on that cross. He purchased us. He paid for that gift of eternal life that's there for the receiving. That's simple. That's the A, here's the B, and the B is so central. It's for simply believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't have to do anything. He did everything. We just believe by faith, putting our trust in Him for the forgiveness of sin. This is Romans 10, 9 and 10. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And the C lastly is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, confess with your mouth, which is the the expression that comes when you believe in your heart, acknowledging your sin, putting your trust in Him. (laughs) You call out and confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. 
and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. It's not you might be saved, it's you will be saved. The jury's not out. The verdict is in. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And Romans 10, 13, lastly, seals the deal, as I like to say. It says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's so simple. It's childlike simple. Maybe in some ways it's too simple. Because see, we've been taught wrongly. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. No such thing as a free lunch. Well, I don't know about a free lunch, but uh, the gift of eternal life is no cost. And that's true. And it is too good to be true, because God is too good and true. It's that simple. No strings attached. Wait, I don't have to do anything? No. He did everything. I don't have to like take a class? No. I don't have to be water baptized? No. I mean, baptism is just an expression outwardly of an inward commitment that you are saved publicly, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ when I, when we do, which by the way, we're planning one, Lord willing, if we're still here, hope we're not. But uh, we'll have our water baptism and I'm going to put you in the water and depending on who you are, <laughs> you know, it might take a little while, but I'll bring you back up. But you're identifying with the, you got to love humor, okay? You're identifying with the death of Jesus Christ, burial, being buried in the water, and then you come up out of the water, and that's identifying with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not necessary for salvation. It's a public profession of salvation. Um, I don't have to uh, be a good person. No. That's like taking a shower before God gives you a bath. It's pointless. He cleans you from the inside out. Though your sins be as scarlet, He makes them white as snow. It's the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You're a new creation in Christ. Behold, all things have passed away. Now you're born again spiritually, just like you were born physically. Now you're born again spiritually. And the Holy Spirit is in you, indwelling you, empowering you, and enabling you to live a holy life. Holy Spirit, holy life. And He seals us for the day of redemption. Well, today's But God testimony comes from Phil Playford, who writes, Dear Pastor J.D., I love you, brother, for your spirit and the Word of God. I have a But God testimony for you. I have been double vaxxed and instantly got thyroid cancer. It has been removed, and a year went by only to discover it metastasized into my T2 neck bone. I was told to have a PET CT scan. I prayed to Jesus, and my pastor and others have been praying. I got the results back from the scan this last week. No cancer detected. Yeah. yeah. I have a little pain in my neck, but I'm trusting the Lord Jesus. My wife has one of those, a pain in her neck. I'm the pain in her neck. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I have a pain in my neck, 
But I'm trusting the Lord Jesus to deliver me from this for His glory. He is so faithful to us. Praise and all glory to Him alone. Amen from New Zealand. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Kapono, come on up. Please stand. We'll close in prayer and song. Thank you for your patience today. Father in heaven, we're, we're so very grateful to You. Lord, thank You for these letters to these churches, because they're for us. And they bring us so much hope and so much encouragement. And so Lord, I pray that no one will leave this service today without the hope that you have for them in this service today. I pray that you'll renew hope and strengthen those feeble knees and lift up our heads. You're the lifter of our heads, Lord, especially those who are downcast and discouraged. And that discouragement has given way to despair. Oh, Lord. You're our hope, your only hope. The rapture's our blessed hope. So Lord, thank You. And lastly, Lord, just for anyone who might even be here in this service today or watching online that has never put their trust in You, believing in You, I pray that today, today, not tomorrow, today, right here and right now, would be the place and the day of their salvation. And thank you for salvation. Lord, thank you for the gospel. And thank you for the rapture. And Jesus, come quickly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.